0: The following audio is from Shiloh Presbyterian Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. More information about Shiloh Presbyterian Church is available at shilohopc.org. Turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. Continue making our way through Matthew's Gospel. We'll look at the first 15 verses of Chapter 10 this morning, page 814, if you're using the Pew Bible. Matthew chapter 10, verses 1 through 15. This is God's word. Let's worship him as we listen attentively. And he called to him his 12 disciples and gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. The names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddaeus, Simon, excuse me, Simon, the zealot and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out instructing them, go nowhere among the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, cast out demons. You received without paying, (coughs) excuse me, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff, for the laborer deserves his food. In whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. And if the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that house or town. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town. (coughs) Excuse me. Amen. That's for the reading of God's word. Let's pray together. Lord, how we bless you for the great privilege it is of being people of the word. Those who have received this, your blessed, inspired, infallible, true, holy word. We pray, Lord God, that you would come to us, your people, and bless us as we receive it this morning. Grant that the preacher would speak and that your people would hear. Only your truth and by your spirit come and guide us and preserve us then on that path, even unto everlasting life, to which you have called us, in our Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we do pray. Amen. Please be seated. Well, as we've made our way through Matthew's gospel up to this point, we've known that Jesus has had disciples. He's gathered a group of those around him. We really haven't known any of the details. Uh, but it's at this point that we things become a bit more specific. We did see back in chapter four uh, that there were four brothers, two sets of brothers actually: Simon Peter and his brother Andrew, and then the, uh, the the sons of Zebedee, James and John. And then we saw just a few weeks back in chapter nine, uh, we learned of the, the calling of the very disciple who wrote this gospel, Matthew, the the tax collector. But other than that, not a whole lot of information, not even really any sense of how many there were or much less uh, any of the details of them. But here we learn of a specific 12. And on those 12, we see that the, the five I just mentioned are included. And for the, so for the first time, uh, Matthew, when he speaks of disciples, he's referring primarily to these specific 12, at least in most cases, that's the case. We also see for the first time that term apostles. That's significant. We'll talk about that. And so here we see that the 12. Jesus appoints them. He commissions them. He sends them out on somewhat of a short-term missions trip, if you will. And we see that he calls them, empowers them to do marvelous marvelous things. I think we should see the things we read about in the text this morning as something of a a sign of things to come. I think this teaches things about what would be the, what was then the soon to come apostolic mission. So this points us to that unique period of the age of the apostles, the ministry of the apostles. But let's also think beyond that this morning to how this text teaches to even our own present age. This is about who we are now as, as, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ as we carry out the mission which our Lord has given us as we go by God's grace and build on the foundation of these apostles, the foundation of the apostles and prophets as we read it uh, described by the Apostle Paul in Ephesians 2.20. And, of course, beyond that, it points ultimately to that, uh, that, that things which will one day be we know that ultimately Christ's kingdom is a kingdom which is not of this world. It's a kingdom of glory, heavenly glory. And one day it will, it will appear when he appears again from heaven in glory. And we inherit that kingdom which will endure forever and ever when this world is destroyed and is no more the kingdom of glory. And yet we, we glory in the fact that that kingdom has has intruded and is present in this This present world, and I think this mission of the 12 attests to that wonderful truth. Our message this morning is this, that in sending out the 12 on this, their first mission, Jesus reveals his program for establishing in this world his kingdom, which will one day come in glory. As we consider that message and consider our text this morning, I want us to note three things about this mission. I want us to note first that this mission marks the fulfillment of the covenant promises to Israel. And then to note, secondly, that this is the work of Christ through his apostles, particularly emphasizing the presence of Christ as he works through his apostles. And then lastly, we'll see that this brings the blessing of God's covenant to all who will receive it. Well, let's consider first that first point then, that this this mission marks the fulfillment of God's covenant promises to Israel in the time when when Christ was yet uh, present with his disciples was obviously unique in many ways I think that's reflected by something uh, which we see going on in this mission particularly as we think of it in, in light of something we see recorded in a different gospel later in in Luke chapter 22 and verses 35 through 36 Jesus seemingly sort of rescinds some of the instructions we see here in our text this morning. So there, he basically says, "Now remember how I told you: take no no money bag, no knapsack, take no extra sandals. Well, now take along all of those things." And so it's clear that that what we have these instructions before us are unique instructions which were intended for this particular uh, time of ministry. Nonetheless, as I'm saying, they teach us important general truths about the kingdom of God as it's established in this world. But what does this have to do with the specific point I'm making here about about this marking, the the, the fulfillment of the promises made to Israel? Well, we see in our text, verses 5 and 6, very specific instructions about going only to Israel. Jesus says, go nowhere among the Gentiles. The Gentiles were the non-Jews. Don't go to the non-Jews. And he says, and don't even enter into any of the towns of the Samaritans. The Samaritans were the half-Jews. Go, rather, he says, to the lost sheep of Israel. I think as we think about that that specific instruction, and God's wonderful wisdom and design and how he establishes his kingdom, it speaks so powerfully to the, the question which the Apostle Paul will later ask. In Romans chapter 11, he asks the question, has God rejected his people? And there Paul's very much thinking of Israel according to the flesh. He refers to them as my kinsmen according to the flesh, physical Israelites, if you will. Has God rejected these people? Of course, the answer, and really, the question really is, is has God been unfaithful to his promises to his people Israel is that what the gospel is about right God not keeping his promises God forsaking his people to whom he's made promises Paul's answer there of course is no an emphatic no a thousand times no in some ways of course the 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 answer to that question is a bit complex in terms of the, the details of how God comes to fulfill his promises to his people in other ways I think the answer is so simple And we have before us here such a simple answer to that question. Where did Jesus tell the 12 disciples to go specifically? He says, go. Go first. Go to the lost sheep of Israel. No one can claim that God was lying when he made those special promises to his people, Israel. He made them special, set them apart among the nations and made those promises. Jesus, in fact, came to fulfill those promises he came to bring the promised kingdom what were the apostles sent out to proclaim verse 7 that the kingdom is at hand the kingdom is at hand the kingdom that was the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel Jesus the king he's the promise right that's what Matthew's gospel is all about that Jesus is is the Messiah promised to Israel He is the Christ the Messiah he is the son of Abraham he is the son of David Jesus is the fulfillment of all that was promised both to them and to Moses. We have, I think, suggested uh, rightly in the past that, Jesus, that Matthew's gospel also reveals Jesus to be the second Moses or the, or the new Moses, the greater than Moses. Just as there were uh, 12 tribes of Israel around Moses, uh, here at the Lord uh, Jesus appoints the 12 tribes. Apostles. In fact, some have suggested that uh, we have in our text something of an intentional connection specifically to the first part of the book of Numbers. In Numbers chapter 1 and verses 4 and 5, the Lord told Moses, There shall be with you a man from each tribe. So Moses, you'll gather 12 around you, 12 men to assist you. And then it says, And these are the names, Numbers 1, verse 5. These are the names, goes on to give the names, of the 12 men who would represent the 12 tribes of Israel. Well, Some uh, suggest, as we look at our text this morning, I think this is probably right, that there's a deliberate echo of that statement in verse 2. The names of the 12 apostles are these. These are the names. And then Matthew gives the 12 names. So in Christ Jesus, God does not forsake, he does not forget about his, his promises to Israel. He comes to fulfill them. How, how fitting it was last week that, that Pastor Holst rightly focused our attention on verse 36 of chapter 9 where we saw the great compassion of Jesus. He's the compassionate shepherd. He looks upon the people who are like sheep without A shepherd. And where does he go first? Where does he send his disciples to go first? Go to the lost sheep. The lost sheep of Israel. We know, of course, that this does not mean that the Gentiles will be left behind. Of course not. Without a doubt, the the, the gospel will be shown to be the the power of, of God unto the salvation to all who believe. To the Jew first, right? But also to the Greek Here we're focusing on the the, the Jew first component of that, fulfillment of God's plan. Lostness. Think about that this morning. The lost sheep of Israel. It's an expression that reminds us of what we heard again this morning, didn't we? It was because of Israel's sin, because of her uh, covenant-breaking unfaithfulness that the nation came under judgment. They became lost as it were. God had warned them that if they turned from him, that they would suffer, that he would send his, their enemies against them in judgment, and they would be conquered, and they would be taken captive, and they would be scattered among the nations. They would be made to, to suffer under all of the curses of the covenant. And we know in, his, in Israel's history that that's just exactly what happened. But but God also made promises of his mercy that he would come to them again. He would come to them in their lostness, and he would do this this great work, of course, whereby the hearts of the peoples would again be turned unto him, and he would come to them, and he would heal, and he would forgive, and he would remove the curse for those who would turn to him. He would remove the curse and replace it with blessing. So Christ and sending out the twelve to the lost sheep. He was just doing the very thing that God had promised the Lord, the God of the covenant. He would indeed fulfill his promises to his people, Israel. Indeed, we continue to see that as we move to our second point about this mission of, of Christ's disciples, as we see what it teaches us about his, his plan for establishing his kingdom in this way. The second point is this. It's the work of Christ through his apostles, work through, and I would say important to see here, the presence of Christ with his apostles. We know that the great, the great blessing of the covenant is God's own presence with his people, right? Well, Jesus, he is God. That's what Matthew tells us, Emmanuel, God with us. And we so, see so wonderfully in these mission instructions the promise of Jesus then, uh, of his own presence with his disciples, his own work through their ministry. We see it in verse 1 as he, he gives them his own authority to do the very works that he has been doing, authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every disease and every affliction. And we see it especially if you look down at verses 7 and 8. The command is not only to proclaim the arrival of the kingdom, but to, to demonstrate and prove the arrival of the, uh, of the kingdom, to show forth its, its presence by doing four things. We see uh, four kind of categories of deliverance, if you will. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse lepers, and cast out demons. I think this was, was stated intentionally, purposefully, for the purpose of, of reflecting these very works that Jesus has already been doing himself in, in chapters 8 and 9. Jesus was doing something most remarkable here, wasn't he? The very works that you've seen me doing, you go forth now and you do those very works. Just imagine this, friends. Just imagine a. Hey, everything that Jesus has been doing, astounding the people with, with his amazing works, now they're to be multiplied by 12 as he gives that same power, that same authority to his, his own disciples. Go forth and do those very works. So there would be many healings, healings of every sickness, every physical affliction. People would even be raised from the dead, and demons would be driven out of those whom they'd oppressed. These things were to happen in in all the different uh, villages of uh, the people of Israel, such a powerful, powerful testimony testimony this would be. All that Christ has done multiplied by 12. No one could deny that Jesus was the Messiah. No one could deny that the kingdom had come, the kingdom of Satan would be destroyed, and God's kingdom would be a place free from suffering, free from the, the rule and the tyranny of Satan free from all of the effects of sin, and it would be proven, proven so powerfully by the words and works of these disciples, these apostles whom Jesus was sending out. When I preached on this years ago and Kara I spoke about this, I said for a while there'd be no need for doctors. They'd be put out of work, at least for a time. They'd be left along with the people marveling at the great work that God had done. Surely all of this Demonstrates, yes, that Jesus is, is the Messiah, yes, that he's the new Moses. The supremacy, I would say, of Christ over Moses. You know, those, those 12 whom Moses called alongside him never had the power to do all the works that Moses did. They never did works like this. Christ was indeed greater, greater than Moses, the new Moses. But how wonderfully this pictures the, 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 the union between Christ and his peoples. And that union would be shown in a unique way in and through the ministry of the apostles. Again, as I mentioned, this is the only time that Matthew uses that word apostles, and I think it is good, as I mentioned earlier, for us to think about what this teaches us about the apostolic ministry. And, and by the way, let this, as we read this, let this be a means of, of strengthening your faith this morning. How do we know that the gospel is true? And what could be more important this morning than knowing that the gospel is true, knowing that God's word is true, your faith rests upon it, your life in Christ, your life now in the age of come rests on whether or not the gospel is true. Well, praise God that we, we see, based on what we see in our text this morning, the evidence that it is true, even though the word which we receive today, it's the apostolic word, isn't it? This is the testimony of the Apostle Matthew. It comes to us together with the testimony of all of the Apostles. We know that it's true precisely because of the special promise Christ makes of his own presence with and his work through the ministry of the Apostles. Again, the mission here is is, is really a sign of things to come, Uh, not only in using that word Apostle, Matthew, really is in signifying that what will be soon in the future after Christ's death and resurrection and his ascension into heaven. The apostles were those who were chosen to be special eyewitnesses, to give eyewitness testimony of all they'd seen, his death, his resurrection, and, this is important, and all of the works that Jesus had done leading up to those events. There's an important point, I think, that we can make in this regard. And speaking of Matthew, even giving indication of future things, notice the thing he writes about the very last apostle whom he mentions there at the end of verse 4. He mentions that name Judas Iscariot. What does Matthew already tell us about Judas Iscariot? This is the one who betrayed Jesus. Tragic. And yet, of course, we know this was all according to God's plan and marvelously we can say see the way the Lord had purposed to use even the betrayal even the falling away of Judas to teach something important about the apostolic witness I think you can see this if you flip over in your Bibles if you'd like to see it yourself to Acts chapter 1 Acts chapter 1 here's where we read about the time Later, after Judas had betrayed his Lord and he had, he had ended, taken his own life. And in Acts chapter 1 then, with Judas now dead and gone, the apostles saw the need to replace him. They understood the symbolic importance of that number 12. But what would he, do we read in Acts chapter 1, in verses 21 and 22, about the qualifications for Judas's replacement? Here Peter is speaking, and he says in verse 21... So one of the men who have accompanied us during all the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. Note that again, how do we know this morning that the gospel is true? Well, by God's design, we have the testimony of these ones who were there, witnessing all that Jesus did, even from the time that He was revealed by John the Baptist to Israel, up until the time that He was taken up into heaven again. All these twelve were uh, all bore witness to these things. But as we consider those words. Together what we see in our with what we see in our text this morning, I think that only strengthens the, the, the apostolic witness. Christ appointed these men not only to be witness to be with him present, witnessing all the things that he did, but even more than that. During his earthly ministry already, they themselves were doing those same works themselves, and those works would continue, obviously, of course, after he was gone. But do you see, uh, dear Christian, this morning, how much reason God has given you to be absolutely sure that his word, the apostolic word, is true. It is that sure foundation. What a reminder for us to to trust him, trust the Lord, lean upon that word. This is a word, a true word, a word on, on which you can rest your faith, a word upon which you can build your life, your life and the lives of your family. Let us in our, in our hearts and with true faith say and mean what we sung earlier in the hymn. My faith is leaning, or my heart, my heart is leaning on his word, the written word of God. Lean on that word, receive that word, and know that you are blessed as you do. And that brings us to our last point this morning, what this, this mission teaches us about God establishing his kingdom in this world That it brings the blessings of God's covenant, yes, to Israel, but to all, all who receive it. To all who receive. Yes, at this point, the the, the ministry was confined to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Jew first. But we know that God's uh, great plan was that what we see here, going on here, would be something that would go to the Greek also. To the whole world, in fact, Israel in, its com- in her covenant-breaking faithfulness, suffering under the cur- curses of the covenant designed by God was a perfect picture of what you and I are, of what we all are by nature as lost sinners. Interesting how as it would go to the Jew first, it would be met primarily with widespread rejection. And yet to think that in God's wisdom... To think that 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 thing which in some ways became the supreme emblem of Israel's rejection of her Messiah, the cross itself would be the very means by which God would secure the blessings for Israel and for us as well, the cross where Jesus bore the curse for us so that all who believe him might receive the blessings of God's covenant we know that, that most of the Israelites rejected the, the apostolic message, and at least in the, those early days, that was the fact, right, which the Apostle Paul was lamenting in Romans chapter 9. But by God's design, that, that rejection became the occasion for the full inclusion of the Gentiles. God's plan was that, that the gospel, that his, the revelation of his grace, would be fully, then be fully revealed to us as well. And also, according to God's plan, the fullness of his revelation of Gentile inclusion would then, in turn, lead to many, many Jews also coming and turning and being saved. Wonderful how this would all be worked out, even if we don't fully understand or perhaps even completely agree on all of the details. We know that that all of the elect of Israel... Um, together with all of the elect among the Gentiles, they would all come, and they would all come, and they would be one in Christ. They would be one in his body. They would be one in the church, and they would all together become heirs of the blessings of the covenant. All who receive him, isn't that good news? Is that good news to you as you listen this morning? I hope that all here listening have responded to, have received that good news to think that Christ comes and he invites you this morning to think that it doesn't matter what your background is, rich or poor. It doesn't matter. Interesting that among the, the 12 apostles, we see quite a bit of variety, don't we? We see the four fishermen, and it, it may be that some of these fishermen were business-owning fishermen. Others were simply hired help. I mentioned that we see in verse 3 that there was a tax collector. Tax collectors, of course, were known to be the worst sinners. And yet Matthew's included as well. We see, we see also in this list that there was a zealot, Simon the zealot. That, that could mean that Simon was, Simon was something of a violent revolutionary. We don't know that for sure. But we do know this, that all 12, they were all sinners, sinners who needed a savior. And Jesus was going to the cross to die For sinners and Jesus is a is a kind and compassionate Savior who receives sinners, all who turn to Him. He'll do that for you if you've never done so this morning. Turn to Him. It doesn't matter who you are, it doesn't matter what you've done, it doesn't matter how bad are your sins. Jesus knows them all. The only thing that matters is whether you will receive him and so the only thing that matters is whether you would receive this this ministry this word of the apostles and our text warns against failing to do so doesn't it it's interesting what we see in in verse 11 where he tells his disciples whatever town or village you enter find out who is worthy What, what makes one worthy to enter the kingdom but that one sees the value sees the 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 truth of the ministry of God's word, and receives. Find out who is worthy and stay there until you depart. There would be those who would fail to see the value of Christ and his kingdom and his disciples, and so they would reject him by rejecting his disciples. And I suppose it was kind of a way of saying, you're not worthy. Who are you? Get away, right? You're not worthy to stay with me. Well, Jesus was really saying that, in doing so, they were showing themselves to be unworthy, unworthy to receive the kingdom. The only thing that will disqualify or render a person unworthy to enter into the kingdom is to re- reject Christ, reject his word this morning, to receive by God's grace, to simply receive Christ. One is, is, is counted worthy in him and qualified to enter in and receive his kingdom Verses 12 and 13 speak of how the greeting of the apostles would be, would be an offer of peace. And so to, to reject them would be a rejection of the peace that God offers. God was offering peace to his people if they would receive his word, receive the kingdom, receive the Christ offered. Again, look at verse 14. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet When you leave that house or town, often when Israelites, when Jews would pass through a Gentile region, upon leaving that region, they would stop and they would take off their sandals and they would knock them together, shake off the dust. It was sort of a way of saying, you're under judgment, even your dirt, I don't even want it on me. It's it's defiled. It's unclean. I don't want to in any way be associated with you and thereby sort of be associated with you judgment and jesus was saying it's only those who reject him who reject his apostles whom he says they're the ones by rejecting uh, the ministry of the apostles that they, they, they reject the only means by which they can become clean they're left under uh, defiled and unclean and under the judgment of god and he really punctuates that point in verse 15 doesn't he We learn that these towns who are rejecting Christ would be considered even more guilty than were wicked Sodom and Gomorrah. We remember that those were the wicked cities which were destroyed by fire and sulfur because of their great wickedness. Here Jesus warns, so it is with all those who reject him and who reject his word. And so this this warns us of the folly, the great danger of, of rejecting Christ but it also speaks to the amazing blessing of all who receive it, to think that that here Christ was was offering his kingdom, offering himself to those who would simply receive him freely, right? Note our Lord's command at the end of verse 8. You received without paying, give without pay. At the end of verse 10, he, he does say that the laborer deserves his food, it would be legitimate for people to receive and to house and to feed the, the, the disciples, showing hospitality important application there. Showing hospitality was an important way of of people giving evidence of the fact that they perceived the value of, of Christ's kingdom and his people. And of course this was a means by which Jesus would would provide for his disciples on this mission. Indeed, as we see in verses ten and eleven, they were They were not to take along with them a bunch of extra provisions. They were to be content with what the Lord provided. They were to be content with the the particular place that they were first offered to stay. They weren't to to go looking for a better place. You can imagine if you went into a, a town once you were there and they saw the great works you were doing, it might be, hey, you want to come stay at my place? Jesus said, no, be content. Remain in the first place offered to you. But they were not to charge money we can imagine you could have made some good money pay pay some you know small fee for your services right jesus says no uh, you're not to charge not even one penny this this was to be a, a a testimony of the amazing truth of course that god's kingdom exceeds the value of all the wealth in this world it could never be purchased and yet wonder of wonders to think that god offers it freely as a free gift to all who would simply, in faith, receive it. If you've never done so this morning, I would implore you, how could you pass, uh, pass on such a generous offer like that? Turn to the Lord in repentance and true faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll receive the forgiveness of sins, eternal life, the lavish blessings of God's covenant forever and ever and ever. You'll inherit a home where there will, there's no more sickness A place forever free from all wickedness, free from the rule of the devil, no more death. A place where you dwell in the presence of the blessed one, Jesus, forever and ever. And even now, if you come to him, you'll be blessed to take up your place in his kingdom, in his church. Brothers and sisters, let this encourage and strengthen us all in our heavenly calling as those who belong to Christ, citizens of his kingdom. Members of his church, there's so much we could say by way of application. I'm going to focus in on just one thing this morning. I want us to think about how this particular mission, this text, should encourage us with regards to our belief that God is calling us as a church to plant a church. Think about that, that work, which we pray that God will do down in Fuquay and Holly Springs. We were not going to go down there and do a miraculous healings of the sick or raising the dead or cleansing lepers or casting out demons, not in the same way that the apostles did, although these are wonderful expressions of the salvation which we've experienced if we belong to Christ. But we don't, we don't need to go and perform apostolic signs and wonders to prove the message that we bring. The apostles have died off. They've completed their ministry by the grace of God it's been fulfilled Christ has fully attested to the apostolic word but we have the privilege of of building then on that apostolic foundation Christ is building his church and if we be, if we believe that this church plant is of him and he'll make that clear to us and we believe it is of him then we fully expect him to do a marvelous work in building his church we should see ourselves as In the same way Jesus commissioned his disciples, apostles, we should see him as commissioning us to do something marvelous and great. It's going to be a lot of work, isn't it? Is it really possible? Do we not believe that Christ is is able and that he will do that work in us and through us, that he will provide all of the strength that we need to do all that he commands us to do? Do we believe that Christ goes with us with his own presence as we go. we might say, this is going to be expensive. Just look what the market has done. Do we not believe that, that, that God is rich and able, that he's able, uh, the very one who has lavished upon us the infinite riches of his own kingdom, that he is unable to provide all that we need to go forth and do that work. It's going to require much sacrifice really on the part of all we should all be willing to do that do we not believe that every sacrifice we make can't even begin to 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 compare with the the riches with which he repays those who who make sacrifices to serve him an inheritance and glory is ours an inheritance and glory which is infinitely greater than any sacrifice we might make in this world for the sake of his kingdom Let's go with a confidence. The kingdom has come. That's our message. We, we, we are the kingdom. We belong to Christ. And so in, in giving ourselves, giving our time, giving our efforts, giving our res- out of our resources, giving a, a, our fervent, fervent, faithful prayers, in giving us to the, the, yes, this church plant endeavor, and indeed this morning in every way in which the Lord calls us and equips us to give ourselves unto the service of, of his kingdom, let us do so with great zeal and great faithfulness. Let us live as his kingdom people. Let's pray together. We pray, Lord God, that you would help us to do just that, O oh, Father, gracious God, how we bless you. And we praise you for your your kingdom lavished upon us in Jesus Christ. O oh, Father, that we would walk in a manner worthy of such a great kingdom we, we need your grace help us we're thankful that your grace abounds to us that though we are indeed great sinners we have such a marvelous savior and so father we pray that with the same power of the spirit that was at work and the apostles of old we pray that you would work in us and enable us lord god to, to please you in all that we do help us to live as faithful citizens of your kingdom we ask for these things in jesus name Amen.